So in week one, we talked about this idea that we have the ability to produce wealth. Why? Because God promised it in Deuteronomy 8 and 18. For to, he said to remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You have the ability in your life. The question is not do you have it. The question is what are you doing with the ability that God has given you? Secondly, we talked about in, in part two, embracing biblical values on how to manage our money. Embracing biblical values. I just can't get it right. I'm sorry. Sorry, man. Thank you. I'm going to get it right. All right, let's try it again. Embracing big biblical values and acting your wage. Acting your wage, living below your means and not having to live paycheck to paycheck. Thirdly, and last week we talked about the buck starts here. The Bible gives us principles and rules on how to invest our money. One of them is to diversify. He said you should invest in seven or eight different places. Don't put all your eggs in one basket is what he was saying. But today I want to make a little bit of a shift. And this is one of the most important messages I'm going to preach to you in this entire series. Because in this series, we're talking about engaging the God factor in our life. There's a lot of good principles on how to manage your money available in the world. But the advantage that we have is that God wants to engage with you and do more than you could have done on your own. In 1961, they wrote to our uh, Secretary of the Treasury. And they said, we need to do something to recognize God in America and our trust in him and so he then wrote to uh, Salmon Chase our Salmon Chase our Secretary of the Treasury wrote to the guy who was over the mint his name was James Pollock he was the guy in charge of printing all of the coins he said these words dear sir no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense Boy, don't those words ring true today the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. He said, we ought to put it on our money. And so they began the process of working out what it should say and where it should say it. And then just a couple of years later, we, we started printing the words, in God we trust, on our coins. Fast forward about 100 years later, in 1956, the words, in God we trust, was adopted as our national motto. And then it began being printed on all forms of currency in this country. In God we trust. Why is it so important to be on our money? Because here's the reality. It is much easier for us to trust in our money than it is to trust God with our money. It's so much easier to trust in our dollars because we can see our dollars and we can spend our dollars and, and, and we can do the math with our dollars. But when we trust God with our money, it requires faith from us. And so our, the, those that have gone before us knew that in this country, we can never get caught up in just trusting in our own money, but we've got to make sure that we are trusting God with our money. So they printed it right there on you, where you can see it. Now, I, don't, I know that we don't live in a cash-based society anymore. It's all credit cards, but if you went down and drew your money out of the bank, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot today, it's the end of the month. Some of you are like, Pastor, there ain't much left in there. You would pull it out. And it would say, in God we trust. But the question is, do we really trust in God? It's much easier to trust in our money than it is to trust God with our money. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Is 
In God we trust. You say, well, Pastor Randon, why are we talking about trusting God with our money? Well, here's the thing. Jesus, when He was on this earth, 30% of His sermons talked about money. Well, about one-third of the time, Jesus was talking about money. Now, can you imagine if every third sermon I came in here, I was talking to you about money? And I'm not talking about uh, sermons on God's going to give you a bigger house and your private plane and the expensive car you want and you're going to be, be able to go on expensive vacations. That's not even what I'm talking about. That's not even what Jesus talked about very often. No, I'm talking about giving and serving God with your money and giving to the poor and helping other people. What if I came in here and I was always talking about money? You guys would be like, I'm not going back to that church. Preacher just always talking about money. Just never stops. I wish he would talk about something else. You know, if you had followed Jesus around, you might be thinking the same thing. Why? Because God cares about our money. So Jesus talked about it all the time. I, I want to pray because as we go through this sermon today, we definitely need some Jesus on the subject, okay? Are you all all right? I, the preacher's going to talk about money. Here we go. Mad that you came today. It'll be all right. It's going to be good. I'm going to give you five reasons why God cares about your money. Five reasons. And if you'll understand these, you'll know why God wants you to have the ability to produce wealth. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I thank you for being with us. I thank you for encouraging us and lifting us up and giving us hope today. I thank you that no matter what we came in here for, I believe that you have the answers and you want to work with us and through us. So God, do a great work in us. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you today and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And the people said, amen. amen. And looky there as we pray, the technology is working. Already God is doing miracles. Five reasons why God cares about your money. Why Jesus was so willing to talk about money 30% of the time. The first is this. God cares about your money because it all belongs to him. You care about the money that's in your life. God cares about his money. So here's what the Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything here, it all belongs to God. Everything we have, everything that we do in this world, it all belongs to God. The money in your bank account, it really belongs to him. He is just giving it to us to be stewards. So what is a steward? You know, when you grew up in church like I did, anytime you heard the word stewardship, it meant they're raising money for something. Right? Anybody else grow up like that? It's just because stewardship is, is talking about managing God's money. But stewardship is really just a fancy biblical word that means manager. We are managers of God's money. We are managers of God's finances. That's all that we are in our life. Everything we have belongs to Him and we're just managing it. And so here's what Jesus taught. And we, we went through this parable last week where He gave one guy five bags of gold and another guy two bags of gold and another one guy one bag of gold. And according to their ability, what ability? Their ability to manage or steward His money, that's how much He gave them. Here's, what, here's the principle. When he came back, he said, what'd you do with it? How'd you manage what I gave you? One guy said, man, I did great. I turned the five into ten. He said, excellent. Because you were a good manager, because you were a good steward, because you did well, I'm going to give you more. He goes all the way down. The guy who gave one, this guy, 
He didn't manage his money very well. He didn't turn it into anything. And God said, I'm going to take from you and give it to the guy who did something with my money. Some of you in here own a business. Imagine with me. You have three employees. And you're fighting tooth and nail to make sure those employees get paid. The first guy, you give him all the resources and the funds. You put a lot of money into him. But you know what? That guy's making you money. Whatever it is you're selling or whatever it is you're doing, he is making you money. And he is, man, every time he comes back, he is, when you look at what you're spending on him, he is return, the return on your investment is huge because he's making money. The second person, you don't spend as much, but they're making money too. How many of you want to keep those kind of employees if you're a business owner? That's what you want in your life. You don't want employees that are just costing you money. The third guy, man, you're paying him good. You gave him a nice computer and a car to drive and an office and all these things. But he doesn't make you any money, but he's really good at spending it. Man, he can spend the money with the best of them. He has ideas on how to spend your money that never seem to end, but he never brings anything back in. You know what? At the end of the year, you're looking at it saying, okay, how'd we do this year? And you're looking at that one guy and saying, man, if I could let go of him and get another one like one of these other two guys, we could even make more money and we'd all be blessed even more. Isn't that a principle of how business works? You can't have a bunch of employees that aren't making you money. Because we, re we reward good stewardship even in, in our businesses. And God's the same way. God rewards good stewards, good managers, people that are bringing him a return on his investment. But on the flip side, people that are not good managers and good stewards, God says, I'm just going to take what I've given to you and give it to someone else. Now, we don't like to think that way. We like to think of a God who's always blessing us and open the windows of heaven and all that. The question is this. How are you doing in managing God's money? Are you a good steward or a bad steward? Are you a good manager or a bad manager? Are you blaming God for not coming through for you and for the problems you're facing in your life, but the real truth is you've just been managing your money poorly? Are we blaming God for self-inflicted wounds in our finances? What do I mean? We're not asking God for His help. We're not asking God to lead us and guide us. We're just out spending money, and then when it doesn't work out, we're facing the consequences of dumb financial decisions and saying, God, why haven't you done what your word says? And God's like, listen, man, you did that. You got $500 left to make it to the end of your pay period. You know you have to buy groceries. you got to pay your car note and have enough gas to get back and forth to work. Now, I don't know what kind of groceries your family eats, but that's going to take up every nickel of my $500. A guy in Beaumont this morning, he's got a big family. He said, Pastor, i got to tell you, we need to fast more often. <laughs> I said, why? He said, I am saving hundreds of dollars on my grocery bill. <laughs> But you've got $500 left. You know what's coming. You know you have to pay your car. You know you have to feed your family. You know you've got to put gas in your car. But on your way home from work one day, instead of doing all those things, you decide just to swing by the mall, just to kind of take your mind off of things. And you look over there, and they've got those new Jordans that you've been wanting. Ladies, they got that new dress you've been thinking about. Man, you swung by Academy, and there was that new pistol you've been wanting for so long, Pastor Kirk. You know what I'm talking about? It just, it's been calling your name. It's just been speaking to you, whatever it is. And you walk out, and you spend $300, and then you can't pay your car note, and you're down at the altar crying out to God, Lord, please help me. I need to pay my bills. And, and God's just sitting there going, man, you had the money. 
You just didn't manage it properly. And all of a sudden, we're putting things on our credit card, and our credit card notes are going up instead of down, and we're going more into debt instead of less into debt, and we're saying, God, I thought you gave me the ability to produce wealth. And he's saying, I did, but you're acting like a fool. Can we just be real for a minute? Listen, uh, there are times in my life when God has said no to me, and, and I might have been frustrated with him about it, but there are times in my life when I can't blame anyone but myself. I went out and spent the money and then was wondering why God didn't come through for me. I didn't, I didn't pray, should I buy this car? Should I buy that house? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Should I get the new phone? Should I up my cell phone bill so I can make sure I have plenty of data to watch Netflix while I'm driving down the highway? Don't act like you've never done it. We're in the house of the Lord. He will get you. Right. But but we don't pray about everything. We go out and do it and then ask God to help us on the backside. What if we got God involved on the beginning? I I read a statement from uh, Pastor Robert Morris, who pastors a great church in Dallas. And, And here's what he said. God is not responsible for the bills he didn't initiate. God is not responsible when you go out and do things that don't make sense. You're using no common sense, no wisdom. You're not praying about it. You just go out and spend money and then come to God and say, okay, God, now you get to help me take care of it. God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. You were smart enough to figure out how to get that loan on your own. You were smart enough to figure out how to buy that car or that house that you couldn't afford. Now you're just going to have to be smart enough to figure out how to pay for it yourself. I'm not, I'm not responsible for that. You do it with your kids. Your 19-year-old son comes in. He's got his first job. He's working 12 hours a week making $8 an hour. And he comes home with a brand new sports car. <laughs> Dad, time you're like, man, that's a beautiful car. <laughs> but I hope you can pay for it because I'm not paying for it. You're making $80 a week. Take taxes out of the make. You're making $55 a week. Everything you make is going, it's going to look good sitting in a driveway because you're not going to afford insurance or gas to drive it, but it was going to look good sitting in my driveway. Because as a father, you're like, man, I'm not responsible to pay for it when you didn't even come through me to get it. I would have told you it's not wise. My dad came to me when I was young and uh, I'd been working hard, saving my money to buy a vehicle. And uh, I'd been working, uh, pouring concrete. Uh, that's, that's what I did during the summer and I saved money. Uh, started when I was 13 years old, uh, 12 and 13 years old, and I worked every summer saving money. So by the time I was 15, I was ready to go buy a vehicle and pay cash for it. And I didn't have enough money to buy the vehicle I wanted. Thankfully, that during the middle of my test drive, my dad wrecked it. Like, no joke. He was traveling in the turning lane, and a lady hit us. I went down there and told the guy, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sir, but my dad wrecked your car. And the guy said, good, I got a sale today. And, and so sure enough, I put my half down and dad had to pay the other half and I got the car I wanted. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's a true story. So, but here's what he told me. He said, Randon, I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you how to manage your money. I may put gas in your car. I may do some things for you, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm not paying your insurance. Like, Why not, dad? He said, well, because first of all, insurance for you is very expensive. And every time you get a ticket, every time you get in an accident, every time you decide you want to race your buddies and do something stupid and get caught by the law, my insurance is going up and I'm not paying for it. So he said, if I can put the responsibility back on you, you'll drive slower. I got to tell you, I got one ticket right off the bat. Went to see my friend Homie, who was my, Homie Washington was my, uh, 
my driver's ed teacher. Some of you may have known homie. He had a barbecue place right over here in Port Arthur for a long time, about six foot ten, uh, big former football player. I went through driver's uh, uh, defensive driving that first time. I didn't get any tickets for a long time. It cost me more. I, I had to sit at home for a week. Couldn't even drive the truck because I didn't have the money. But, but Dad put the, the responsibility back on me. And I think that, that principle applies to our walk with God also. He's telling us to be good stewards and good managers. He's given us principles and knowledge and ways to do that. But when we don't do it, we don't just get to come back to Him and say, God, I'm a tither. You're supposed to take care of everything for me. Listen, tithing may rebuke the devourer and it may open up the windows of heaven, but God's sitting there going, listen, I can't make up for stupid. I know. I just, he said stupid. And fool all in the same service. Dumb. He just said it all. Listen, this is what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it foolish. That's what, that's what the Bible refers to it as. And I've done it so many times. And then come to God and say, God, but I'm tithing. And God's like, listen, there's only so much I can do when you're wasting all of the blessings that I'm giving you. You're not using good stewardships. God cares about money because it's all His anyway. Second thing is this. God cares about our money because it affects most every area of our lives. Money, your finances, they affect your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, your health. You know, I was reading this week that the number one cause for divorce in America is communication, or lack thereof. The number two cause, and right behind it, is finances. But here's the thing, when you dig deeper, you know what the number one thing that people don't communicate about in their marriage? Money. <laughs> Listen, most people get divorces because they're either not communicating about money or they have money problems, one or the other, and it's driving them to divorce. How many, we talked about this a little bit last week, how many, how much uh, better would your marriage be? How many fights do you have that come back to money? How much stress in your life comes back to finances, to providing for your family, to making sure you can get to the end of the month, to paying off the debt that we have? How much stress in your life, how much strain, how much sleep have you lost in your life because you don't have, because you're fighting finances and it's wearing on you? When you start listening to stresses in your life, here's what, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, a feast is made for laughter. Wine makes li life merry. And money is the answer for everything. If you had more money, it would solve so many problems in your life. It would decrease the stress in your life. But So God says, you know what? I care about your money because I'm trying to help all of your life. And money affects everything. What, and, and part of this series is just challenging you to dream and to think. What if? What if? We weren't fighting money every day of our lives. What if we had wealth and the ability, to, the ability to live the way we want to live? Think about your kids. How much of your time is spent figuring out how to provide for them instead of doing with things with them that will build your relationship stronger and together? How much time do you spend away from them chasing dollars to pay for them rather than with them training them up in the ways of God and building your relationship? How much better would your relationship with your kids be if you had the money to do the things you've always wanted to do? God cares about your money because it affects every area of your life. Number three, and I love this one. God cares about money because it can make us like him. It can make us like him. I told my wife that I was going to talk about this today, and she was very skeptical. So if you're skeptical right now, 
Let me show you what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. Now let me ask you, by show of hands, how many of you are human beings? Pretty much everybody, if you're watching online, we're all human beings. If you're not, we got another service for you down the road. But for all of the, all of the human beings, if you're not a cyborg or a zombie or a computer or anything else, God made you in his own image. That's not up for debate, is it? We were made in God's image. I think most every Christian believes we were made in God's image. Now, fast forward to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing to us, and here's what he says. Verse 20. Ephesians 4 and 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Take that off because it has been corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, and here he comes right back to it, created to be like God we were created to be like God and then Paul says somehow we have to get back to being like God in the middle something happened let's go back money can make us like God here's the thing I want you to know God is a giver Adam he awakes for the very first time he doesn't know where he is he doesn't know who he is or what he is He doesn't know who God is. Something in him is drawing him to his creator, but he doesn't know. Think about the moment, what it must have been like. Adam is laying on the ground. God has knelt beside him, breathed the breath of life in him. Suddenly, he wakes up and he looks around and he sees God for the very first time. He sees a world. He sees a garden. He sees trees and colors and shapes. He sees himself. Now he goes on a learning track. The first thing he learns about this creator God is that he is a giver. Watch what he does. He had just given him life. Where did I come from? You came from me. I just breathed life into you. Why am I here? You're here to take dominion. I'm giving you the earth as yours to take dominion of it. Fill the earth. He gave him purpose. Subdue it. He gave him purpose. You know what else, men? He gave him a helper. He gave him a wife. Can I get an amen, guys? That was weak. Valentine's Day is coming up. I don't know if you're aware or not, but that was a very weak amen. So I'm going to give you another chance. Ladies, just forget that happened. We're going to back it up. Men, the first one of the first things that God gave us was a good wife. Can I get an amen? Amen. That was a little better, a little better. Some of you, I don't know what Valentine's is going to be like for you. But he gives Adam a helper. He gives them a wife. He says, my God, she is beautiful and she came from me. Wow. He gave Adam all these things. He he, he gave him a garden. He gave him a future. He gave him a plan. He gave him relationship. The first experiences that Adam has with God is receiving gifts from him. But sin crept in, pulled him away. So we fast forward all the way to the days of Jesus. Jesus walks in and a third of the time he's talking about giving. He's talking about money. He's talking about giving. He's saying, you know what you ought to do? You ought to give to the poor. You know what you ought to do? It is, he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
He said, you ought to give your coat away. Give it to someone who needs one. He, he said, you ought to help other people. When they, when they can't make it on their own, walk with them and help them for a mile or two. Help them. Give of your time and of your energy. He said, you ought to give. And when you do, when you give, it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over, given back unto you. He was talking about giving. Why? Because he's bringing us back to our original state. In our original state, God wove into our DNA and who we are the propensity to be a giver. He put it in us, but sin pulls us away from that. It's deceitful desires pull us off to where now it becomes about how much we can collect, how much we can do. It becomes about self, not about others, not about giving to God and giving to others. And that's what sin wants to do. It wants you to get what you want. So Jesus changes the subject. He puts it back on giving away, on giving to others, on, on pouring out of your life, not just taking in, on giving back. And Paul writes and he says, listen, guys, y'all are missing this, the point here. You, you've put back on your old nature, your old ways, which were takers, which are all about you, which are all about filling your own desires, your own flesh. But Jesus came and he taught us a different way. He taught us that our desires ought to be first on God. We ought to give to God. We ought to give to others. We ought to, we ought to take it out from ourselves. One of the first ways that we can break the back of money on our, on our lives is to be a giver because God is a giver. And he said, you ought to get back. When he says, put on your new self, your new mindset, your new ways, what is he really saying? Paul is saying, we're trying to get you back to the original way that God made us in the garden. Your original design, your original design was to put in you the DNA to be a giver because we were made in the image of God. So when we give, when we give of our money, we can become Christ-like. I will tell you that you cannot be Christ-like without being a giver. You cannot be a true disciple of God without being a giver. Why? Because Jesus gave. In fact, he gave so much that he gave his entire life. He laid it down. He laid it down for me and he laid it down for you because that's the kind of God we serve. And Paul's saying, we've got to be like him. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Give like I'm giving because Jesus gave. Giving of our money can make us like God. It doesn't make us a God. It reminds us that we were made in His own image. That leads us to number four. Because God isn't just after our money. He cares about our money because it is the way to your heart. Let's read what He says, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. A couple of verses here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you put your money in things and in possessions and the things of this world, it's not that God doesn't want you to have things and He doesn't want you to have possessions. He does. It's part of the blessings of God. But when we put all of our money there... The enemy can get to them. And more importantly, the enemy can get to our heart. 
Because Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And God is much more concerned about your heart than he is your money. God's trying, he said, listen, I'm trying to protect your heart, but you're, but you're putting your money into places that can't protect you. If you'd put your money into, the, into heavenly places, into heavenly things, then I could protect you because I want to protect your heart. God's after our hearts. The, the Bible teaches that the heart is a deceitful thing. But here's the truth. Actions, you know, speak louder than words. We can come to church every day. And we can declare to the whole world that we love Jesus, but God can look at your bank account and tell whether you really love him or not. He can look down at your life, at your funds, and say, nope, those are just words. Those are just idle words. They don't mean anything to me because your heart is far from me. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Our bank accounts tell the real story of do we love God or do we not? Is our heart with him or is it not? Where you're spending your money tells God where your heart is. Does that mean we have to give all of our money to God? No. Does that mean that we have to give most of our money to God? No, it doesn't. But God can look at our bank account and tell where our heart really is. He went on to say that we cannot serve two masters, for we'll love the one and hate the other. God wants to be first. He wants our heart. He wants to get to a place. He wants your heart to get to this place where we give not to receive, but we give just to be a blessing to others. He wants us to get to this place where we are not searching and seeking after a blessing from God, but we are seeking after the God who blesses. You see, I'm not here today. I didn't come today to worship God with my giving or with my lifestyle or anything else just so God will bless me. I came here today to worship God because I want to be, I want God in my life. I want to be around the God who blesses and the God who gives and the God who loves me and the God who created me and the God who gave his life for me and the God who came to fill me with power and authority. That's who I'm after. I'm not just after the blessings of God. I'm after the God who blesses. And our heart tells the real story. God wants our heart. That leads us to the last thing. God cares about our money because it determines who is first in our lives, determines who is first. In the Word of God, first is reserved for the King. First is reserved for the Lord. First is reserved for uh, the, the Emperor. But God wants to be first in our lives, and this is proved, proven through tithing. Look what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Tithing, what is tithing, Pastor Randall? Well, tithing is very simply this. It's the first 10%. If it's not 10%, it's not a tithe, it's just a gift. And, and I'm sure that God is grateful for it. As a church, we're grateful for every gift that comes in. But when we're speaking specifically, specifically about tithing, if it's not 10%, it's not a tithe. Secondly, this, if it's not the first 10%, it's not a tithe. It's a gift, maybe a generous gift. And we're grateful for it. But if it's not the first 10%, it's not a tithe. Because that's what the tithe is. When we give God the first of our money, it's declaring that God is first in our life. He is Lord of our lives. You see, if God is not Lord in our finances, He won't be Lord of our life. We just talked about it. Where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And God is not so much concerned about your money, but He is concerned about being the Lord of your life. We come and we say the sinner's prayer and we say, you know, Father, forgive me of my sins. 
Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Be my savior. Be my king. Be my Lord. But if he's not Lord of your finances too, he can't really be Lord of your life. Because here's the truth. My tithe doesn't belong to me anyway. It doesn't belong to me anyway. Uh, the Bible says in Leviticus 27 and 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Later in other places in Scripture, he talks about if you're a rancher and you're raising sheep, how to bring your firstborn. If you're raising donkey, what to do with that? donkeys, what to do with that? If you're raising oxen, what to do with those? If you're raising cattle, what to do with those? But in all instances, a tithe or the first 10%, the first fruits, belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. It is set apart. It is holy. Tithing is returning what belongs to God anyway. Pastor Lindsay and I, we have a great luxury because we work for the church. Our tithe comes directly out of our paycheck because I don't even want to see it. I don't even want the temptation in my life for, for, to get behind on my bills and take what belongs to the Lord. So we, we, we made a determination at a very early age when we were having babies and couldn't afford anything and were uh, stopping by mama's house to make sure we could eat dinner. If you've ever been there before, uh, Lindsay, I think we need to go to mom's house tonight. Why? We don't got no money left in the bank account and you don't have any groceries. So let's, we just need to pop in and visit mom. Grandmas, y'all get any visits like that from your, from your kids? Like, like, I know why you're here, but you don't even care though. You just feed them anyway. That's the way my mom is. She just send me home with a bucket full of gumbo, right? Where was I going with that? Oh, yes. I don't want the temptation. <laughs> Sorry. I got to think, I'm really hungry right now. It's this 12 12. I'm starving. That gumbo got me, man. Where, I need to go see my mama tonight. Oh. I lost it again. Oh, man. <laughs> Our tithe belongs to the Lord. And so I don't even want the temptation to spend it on myself because it's not mine. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches in the book of Malachi, he said, should a man rob God? They said, how have we robbed you? In tithe and offering. When we take what belongs to the Lord, we're actually robbing God. But then he goes on to say, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so that there will be room in my temple. You see, the tithe, it doesn't just go anywhere. Lindsay, I encourage you, be a giver in your life. Don't just give to the church or churches in general, but give to lots of places in your life. Support lots of things. When you see the little kids raising money to go to their sporting event or their cheerleading competition or their band camp or whatever, man, help those kids. You know, when, when you when you help kids in, in other nations, help people in other ways, give to other things. We ought to be givers in our life, not just to the church, but the tithe goes into the storehouse, which was literally a room in the temple where they collected the grain and the, and the fruits and, and all the first fruits of everything that came in. It came into the storehouse, which was a room in the church. But just to be clear, God says, food in my temple. Now, here's what I love, because the tithe belongs to the church of God. That's where it goes to. It's given to God in in his temple. I encourage you to give to all types of places, but the tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, but here is the good news about the way God set this whole system up. The verse I read to you in Deuteronomy where he says the purpose of tithing was to prove, uh, teach us how to put God first in our life. The other thing that verse says is when we bring our tithe into the house of God, he allows us to eat of it. What does that mean? You're sitting in chairs right now that were paid for by, because someone brought their tithe in the house of God. 
You're breathing in air conditioning, or I don't know, it's hot in here to me. Maybe it's heater today. I don't know what it is. But you're breathing, you know, in the, in the hot summer, we have AC in here because we are able to eat from what is being provided for by the tie that was brought in the storehouse. Right now, your kids are in one of the corners of this building, either and, uh, over here, they're upstairs, our, our nursery is full, uh, our, just overflowing with babies. Why? Because people say we're bringing our tithe to the storehouse, but the great thing about God is God doesn't say, thank you, now go away. He says, come on in, now let's share it together. We're able to do great things all across this world. Why? Because people have been faithful to God in their tithe and in their offering. They have, been, they have put God first. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 goes on to release, tell us the promises that this releases. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You know what? That's the kind of blessings that I want for you in your life. To where God has opened the windows of heaven so much you, have, you don't even have room enough to take it all in. But that's what happens when we tie. It releases those type of blessings in our life. He said in another verse, when we bring our first fruits to God, our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will overflow with new wine. It happens because we are trusting in God with our finances. You see, tithing is an act of faith and trust in God. If it's the first 10%, why does it matter if it's the first, Pastor Randall? Well, not only does the first declare who's Lord, but the first requires faith. It doesn't require any faith to, faith to get the end of your month and say, oh, look, I had an extra $50 left over. Lord, I'm going to bring it to you. And I'm going to bless you with this. Well, that's wonderful. But that's not a tithe. That doesn't require any faith. You had it left over. Faith says, God, I am looking at my finances, and I don't know how this is going to work but I'm going to put you first anyway and trust that as you are the Lord of my life in every year of my life, including my finances, you're going to protect my heart. You're going to have my heart. You're going to protect my family and you're going to help us. And we are engaging you in our lives and in all of our finances because we're putting you first. That's what tithing does. It's an act of faith. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the good news is that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him with all of our heart and all that we have. When we put him first by faith, he rewards us. Requires faith and trust. But here's the real truth. 53% of evangelical Christians have not given anything to their church in the last 30 days. 53%. Here's another one for you. When they study evangelical Christians in this country, only 3% are actually tithers. Now I want you to understand something about the way God set up this kingdom. God set up his kingdom so that when we brought all the tithe into the storehouse, first of all, there would be food in his house. And everything that we need to take care of the people of God, we would have it. That, that, that his temple, his church would have it. But not only that, God's original intention was, as the, as the people of God are doing their part and bringing their tithe into the storehouse, things like taking care of the poor, that was never intended to be a job for the government. It was God's intention that the widows and the orphans and the poor and the needy could be taken care of in the house of God. That when people came in with a need, 
that your church could say, no problem, we've got that. Why? Because the people of God were coming together. And when they do, he's going to pour out the windows of heaven. There's a great book I encourage you to read. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel. H-O-L-E, The Hole in Our Gospel. And in it, he talks about how if just the American church were tithers, in the first year alone, we could pay off every bit of debt that churches own. They would be totally debt-free. In the second year, we could do things like eradicate world hunger. Solve the illiteracy problem in this nation. Solve the clean drinking water problem in our world. These are the problems that the church could attack but, but, and accomplish and fix and not be looking to governments to try to figure it all out. But we could do it. But it would require 100% of the people of God bringing their tithes in the storehouse. That was God's plan. But only 3% of us tithe. That means 97% don't. Now, I just want to tell you that the number is higher than that in this church, and I honor you for it. I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I know it's higher than that. Look around this room, though, and there are lots of us that have struggled to have the faith, the belief, the willingness to be tithers. Does that mean you don't love God? Does that mean you're greedy? Does that mean, well, maybe for some of us, but... I think for so many people, even more, we're looking at it and we're saying, Pastor Randon, 10% would kill us. We couldn't make it. I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't feed my family. I couldn't do any of that. I understand. That's why it's so important that we learn to manage our money God's way. Because I believe there are people in this room right now that say, I would love to give, Pastor Randall. I would love to be a tither. I just don't know how to get from where I am to there. But God has given us a roadmap. If you want to manage your money God's way, it starts with putting God's first in your finances. Would you be willing to step out and on an act of faith? I want to share with you one more verse of Scripture, one more story, and we're closing this morning. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into battle. They're going to take back the promised land. They're about to go and, and, and fight the battle of Jericho. When they came out of Egypt, God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to circumcise all of the men. So Moses did that, but they never circumcised the young boys that were born in the desert. So 40 years later, there's this entire army ready to go fight. But God looks down and he says, Joshua, they're not circumcised. They have to be circumcised. So literally, they are days from a battle. They are on the edge of the Jordan River. Their enemies are gathered all around them. And Joshua comes in and says, hey, we're going to have a circumcision party today. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, Google it later. But I just want to tell you that this, as a grown man, is not the kind of party I want to go to. I bet I can get an amen now, men. <laughs> and yet that's what he does. Here's the problem with their en enemies. Just imagine if you were camped here and your enemies are surrounded all around us and they're ready to, to battle you and we are gearing up for war and all of a sudden Joshua says we're going to all we're going to circumcise all the men here all of our soldiers all the men ready to fight to defend our kids and to take the promised land we're going to circumcise them all here's what it did 
It put them out of commission for approximately seven days. They had to stay in their tent and heal and recover. They couldn't fight. They couldn't lift a sword. They couldn't lift a a shield. They couldn't do anything. They were completely shut down. The entire camp of Israel was vulnerable. And yet, here's what the Bible says. That when Joshua did that, they're going to Jericho. They didn't even have to fight They walked around the walls of the city seven times. They gave out a great shout. And this fortified city that no one thought they could ever take, the walls began to crumble and fall down flat. But it started with they were willing to make themselves vulnerable to God. You're looking at your finances and saying, Pastor Randy, there is no way we could do this. I just can't make it happen. I understand. But tithing activates our faith and our trust in God. Here's what I believe put God first in your life just on the other side of your greatest act of faith is the greatest victory you've ever had in your life the Jerichos in your life the walls are coming down the the battles you face the generational curses that have kept your family uh, caught up in debt and poverty and lack I just believe that they're gonna come crumbling down the the hold that money has had over you and things and possessions it's going to come down and you're gonna be able to seek God with a free and a clear heart and you're gonna feel him more than you ever have why because you are willing to put him first and here's what he says in verse 9 Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery to Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal translates to get the wheel rolling. Here's what I believe. You put God first in your finances. He's going to get the wheel rolling in the rest of your life. And you're going to get this machine going in your life. And you're going to get this ability to produce wealth. And it's going to grow. And you're going to have the, you're going to gain the knowledge and the understanding to, to manage your finances and, your, and steward your finances better, it's going to get the wheel go, going. But it starts with a great act of faith. Second thing he said was this, I'm going to remove the shame. Shame of slavery. Shame of mindsets that you couldn't have more, that you couldn't have the promises of God, that it wasn't for you. God said, I am removing that off of I want to speak to those in this room that have struggle in your minds, grasping the concept. And I've talked to so many of you, even throughout this series, that you say, well, that's just not for me. No, no, it is. And what God is going to do today is remove the shame of slavery, remove the burden and the mindset that says that's for someone else. No. You see, in the New Testament, it teaches us that God circumcises our heart bring and put God first he does a surgery on our hearts because God is really after your heart I want to pray for you today I want to pray for you today and uh, we're gonna we are going to uh, take up our offering at the end of service today as you know normally we do it in the beginning but today I wanted you to have an understanding of what we're doing before you gave and I want to challenge you to be people of faith to step out and do what God's called us all to do together possibilities are endless let's pray father i thank you for every person in this room for every person watching online you have been so good to us god there are people here and man we've struggled we 
we struggle with debt. We struggle with a, a slavery to money. We, we've sl- struggled as money is trying to control us and, and our deceitful desires are pushing us and pulling us. And God, if we were being really honest today and you were looking at our finances, we would have to say, no, God, our heart is not with you, but it's in other places. Lord, I am believing today that it's going to be a Gilgal day. That people are coming to you to say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm returning my tithe to you. God, I am just speaking over the lives of your people that as we step out by faith, our greatest victories are just on the other side. Whatever the battles are that we are facing in our life, I believe you're going to unlock uh, the, the blessings of heaven to go in front of us. The armies of heaven are being dispatched to fight for us, Lord God. I thank you for it right now. Lord, Lord, let us be more like you every day. Let us give like you gave. Let us love like you love. Let us be the people and the disciples that you've called us to be. Bless your people now. In Jesus' name we pray.